Bible students know that the Apostle Paul was Saul of Tarsus, who had been trained at the feet of Gamaliel, who was making great progress in Judaism. He says of himself, circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, the strictest sect of the Jews. Paul was a firm believer in God through Judaism, and he practiced it with all his heart. And concerning zeal, he said, persecuting the church, he thought folks who believed in Christ were the worst people on earth and should be eliminated and set about to do that. But what things were gained to me, verse 7, I counted loss for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained and am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. So what we see in the Apostle Paul is a single-minded devotion to the one thing and that is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And compared to that, beloved, nothing else mattered to the Apostle Paul. It was his all, as we just sang. And to anybody observing him, it was very clear that this man had given up everything for one thing. And my question to me is, and to you if you would listen closely, is if someone saw you and your function as a Christian, is that what they would think? That truly it is my one thing that matters. And that compared to everything else, the only thing that matters to me is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, can we get such a single-minded devotion? And I know you could say, well, Paul was an apostle. He had special benefits. The Lord spoke to him. He appeared to him. He had special cause and privilege. And maybe there's some truth to that. But, beloved, he says to us, have this mind. Not do everything I did, but have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And pray it will come clear. So I believe, 
absolutely you and I can have that same kind of mind. So I want you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want you to listen to this same man say a prayer for you and for me. In Ephesians 3, he says this prayer for the church at Ephesus, but it rings down through the century to the church right here on this boulevard. So as I read this, will you please put your name in there as the one for whom the Apostle Paul is praying? I begin in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I pause just a moment there in that prayer. Isn't that a beautiful prayer for me and for you? To be filled up with the fullness of God and to comprehend the best we can the love of Christ. Is that possible? Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And the answer to that question is, yes, it's possible. And I pray that for all of us. And my hope in this series, and I've given this part of my life, I'm in phase three, you know. And by the way, it's kind of nice. I can choose some of my own things to do. I'm choosing at this phase to focus on helping us be able to glorify the great creator of the universe better than we ever have. By the time Wednesday night's finished, my hope is that my mind is more filled up with the fullness of God than it's ever been. And I hope yours will be too. And some of that's the evidence that's pouring out to us in the natural world. Well, yes, we can have this kind of single-minded devotion, and that should be our goal because it's the way I, as a Christian, can impact others who see this is real. Have this mind. So I pray for congregations of saints who are the congregations are full of Christians for whom the Word of God is a passion. Did you notice in that song the word passion was used? By the way, that was brand new to me. I love that song. We're going to introduce that one at every meeting, I think. Thank you for leading it. I pray for your passion to go up another level. Because that's precisely what you see in the Apostle Paul. And that's what we should see because it infects people. All right, I want to take a little side trip. We lived in Romania from 93 to 95, same time the Buntings were up in Hungary. 
and even got to come see them once. By the way, we got a tour of Budapest by their daughter. That's pretty special. That's a favorite memory. While we were there, it was an exciting time. Because the people of Romania and all of Eastern Europe had lived, been living under the domination of communism for a long time. And many of them were taught from childhood that not only was belief in God foolishness, but it was dangerous. Marx said of religion that it's the opiate of the people. And he wanted it stamped out. And please be assured, beloved, communist thinkers have not changed their mind about that. Even in the 21st century. And those folks had lived it up close and personal. And many of them were ready to be free of that. Exciting times. And I haven't had the privilege very many times in my life of getting to spend time with someone who's never had the opportunity to study the Bible. I did in those days. So I want to tell you about one young man. He was a member of the Merchant Marines, and he lived in Constanza, Romania. You probably don't know where that is. In fact, my guess is you probably couldn't find Romania on the map. You're kind of like I was before we went over there. It's not exactly the best-known place on earth. Constanza is the one major seaport in that country, and it's where the Navy is. And it's where the merchant marines take off. Merchant marines are business people who go all over the world, all over the seas, making trade. So this man was gone most of the time. It just happened on this particular week that he was going to be home for three consecutive days. And he had made friends with one of the Christians in Constanza. So I got to spend three days with him in concentrated study of what we're going to do Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And it was wonderful because this young man was a science guy. And we have a few science guys in this audience, but he really wanted to know. And so we dug in. And by the end of that three days, he told me that he had seen things in the natural world he had never seen before, that nobody had ever taught him that. And he saw a whole different way to understand them. And of course, that opened the door to talk about, well, if you come to believe in God, then you surely want to go further and say, what would this God want me to do? And that's why you need the Bible. So we talked about the Bible and Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the magnificent story of the Bible of how much God loved us and gave his only begotten son. And folks who came to know that gave their lives to Jesus and were willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of Christ. And in that speech, his face kind of dropped because he said, Mr. Payne, you've shown me some amazing things from the natural world and I thank you for, for sharing that with me and helping me see things I hadn't seen. But this Jesus stuff, I don't know about that. You see, I came from a village in Romania, and every village had one. There was a priest in our village, and there was a big church building. Every village had one, even though most of the people were so poor they could hardly afford anything. They had a nice church building run by a priest. 
And he said, everybody in my village knew that the priest who represented Jesus was the biggest drunk in town. And also, he was a philanderer. And everybody knew it. And the word on the street was, he had to go to theology school to get to be a priest, right? That he bribed his way into theology school. Can you imagine? And by the way, he wasn't the only one I heard that from. And he said the people in that village would go and they'd go to confessional and get out on their knees in front of this infidel and confess their sins. In my mind, that's the opiate of the people. And I want no part in it. Now, I know that's an extreme example. But here's a man representing Jesus, supposedly, and not living it in any sense of that word. And here's a man who was just beginning to think, well, maybe there's a God. But if this is what God worshipers do, I don't want any part in it. And I'm saying to you, beloved... If a, an agnostic in our time, in this town, sees a Christian whose life in no way reflects the spirit of what we just read, they don't have this mind that the most important thing to me is my service to Jesus Christ my Lord. And everything else compared to that is as if it were thrown in the garbage I don't see that, they say. What I see is folks doing the same thing everybody else is doing and living a worldly life. And it is a great interference with helping one see the majesty of the God of heaven. So I pray for congregations of saints who are devoted to the word of God and I know you've heard that before, but I want to make a couple of points that I hope will drive it home. So let's go to Matthew 4. Matthew 4 is the story in this text of the temptations of Jesus. And I'm not studying that lesson this morning. I'm pulling one point out of it. And all Bible students know very well Jesus went out into the wilderness. He was fasting for days, 40 days. He was hungry, and Satan came to him and tested him three times, you remember. May I add a little side note right here? Jesus was tempted, Hebrews 4 says, in all points as we are. I think that's illustrated in Matthew 4. That means, beloved, he fully partook of the human position, the human problem, because James 1 says, God is not tempted with evil, nor does he tempt any man. So Jesus was tempted as a human being. And how did he deal with it? 
In each case, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 7, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 10, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So Bible students, without looking at your middle reference, where did those passages come from? Three passages where Jesus quoted scripture. (laughs) I didn't know it that long ago. They all came from the book of Deuteronomy, your favorite book. The one you study all the time, right? My master Jesus as a human quoted Deuteronomy to destroy the devil. I think he was so consumed with this, what God has to say that every circumstance he came across as a human He was able to manage it to God's glory. And so I ask of us, I have a little example from my earlier days. When I went to Boy State at Florida State years ago, the chaplain got up and gave a speech on Deuteronomy. And it was terrible. He didn't know what he was talking about. And it was embarrassing. Because he was the chaplain for the legislation for Florida. Here's my question, Christian. Is the word of God such a passion for you? We talked about the fact that we have it in English and we have it in our possession. Everywhere and around, it's, it's everywhere for us. Most folks have never had that. This young man had never had a Bible in his hand. And he was anxious to dig into it and at least see what it was about. Turn to Acts 20. And let's listen to the same apostle we read from at the beginning. He was talking to the elders at Ephesus. He'd call them to meet him as he was on his way to Jerusalem. And he says to them, verse 28... Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. This church needs to hold up the hands of the elders who are responsible for your souls and to lift them up when they help defeat enemies of God who are teaching false doctrine. Not undermine them because you don't like for them to say hard things. There's only one hope in this world. Verse 32, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
The passion for the Word of God should consume us to the point that it drives everything we do. And Paul cried about it for three years because he was so concerned about what would happen. I'll tell you, beloved, no wonder it is said of this man. Everything else was to him like rubbish because he was going to stay true to Jesus Christ no matter what. But there's another point I want to make that gets even more personal. And for that, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6 and verse 6. This is speaking to disciples of Christ. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I pray for a church full of Christians like this one right here that spend time in secret with God all the time. I hope you can't miss a day. And so I want to confess to you that this morning in my prayer time, I begged the Lord to please give me words like apples of gold and pictures of silver, words that are fit to help every Christian in this audience take the next step toward your intense connection to the only thing that matters. And I'm telling you, secret time with God. By the way, who's in the room in verse 6 when you go in and close your door? Who's in the room? Just you. But God's promised to be there. And he sees in secret will reward you openly. And I want to put some passages up here. There's four of them. We're going to go to Revelation 3. That all speak to this question. Revelation 3 is addressed to the church at Laodicea. In verse 20, Jesus talking so this is addressed to Christians and could just as well be said to this group of Christians. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You see that? Jesus is saying, I'm knocking at your door. Will you let me in so you and I can have a dine together it's just the two of you. And I don't know you that well. But my guess is in this group of people right here, most of whom are Christians, this past week, you turned down that invitation several times. I think you did. The privilege of being in a room by yourself doesn't have to be in a room. Get somewhere where there's nobody around. By yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom you say, Christian, he is the only thing that matters to me. Compared to everything else, he is first. 
but he asked me to let him in and dine with me today alone. And I was too busy for that. I say to you, Christian, that's not a good sign of the deep, strong connection you must have to have this mind. And I'm begging you, don't be as long as I was figuring that out. I hope you will be on your knees to your God in a private place tonight or tomorrow. I hope you'll never let another day pass that you don't have the privilege of being alone with the master of the universe. Do you remember who's saying this in Revelation 3? John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's who's talking. So when tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we talk about the majesties and the overwhelming amazement of the creation we're talking about this one who says I'm knocking at your door will you let me in and dine with you and we turn it down regularly what does that say beloved I think it says we haven't grasped the intensity of what this is about so I'm begging you don't let another day go by where you turn down the personal invitation. By the way, Jesus has plenty of power and omnipresence to be with every one of us anytime. No problem. And make it real. Because what I've learned, and pardon the personal reference, is when you become, that's your habit, you cannot miss it. Everything in your life becomes an open book between you and him. And everything you're dealing with, with people. And what could begin with five minutes ends up being 30 minutes to an hour because you can't get it all in. And I have to say this, because I think Marilyn would not be happy if I didn't. We had a two-year-old and twins when the two-year-old was two. That's not good planning. So we had three in diapers. And my Marilyn would say to me, okay, preacher, you talk about getting alone with Jesus. I can't even go to the bathroom. Don't talk to me about getting alone. And I very humbly said... <laughs> Maybe that's the time you need it the most. And it doesn't have to be an hour. Maybe I need to help you with those three babies and give you five minutes by yourself. Because it's critical. And the last thing I want to say about that point is that's what Jesus did while he was a human. Did you know that? Here's a bunch of passages from Luke. There's a bunch more than that. 
in the other Gospels. And what you'll find out is in the busiest part of Jesus' life, and don't tell him you're busy, you're not busier than Jesus was, he always found time to get away from everybody, including his closest disciples, and be by himself with his Father in heaven. He did not do that, beloved, as God. He did that as man. And if he needed it as a man, you think I need it? And there's a couple of these that I really love. In chapter 9, verse 18, it says he was alone praying and his disciples found him or came to him. That means they knew where he was, doesn't it? So here's my question to you, beloved. If your wife or your husband can't find you, is one of the first things they think, oh, he's probably at such and such praying. I'm asking. But it certainly was that way with Jesus. And then when Luke 22, when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane the last week, you remember? That passage says, and he went as he was wont in the old King James. He went as he was wont. That means it was his custom to go to the garden in the middle of the night to pray to God. He had no sin, people. But he needed connection with the God of heaven as a human. And you remember that last time what he was begging? Three times he begged with tears and with sweat like blood. Don't make me do this. He was by himself. But that's a habit. I hope, beloved, when you reach the most difficult thing that you've ever faced in your life, you have a habit established of being alone with God. So often, it's just another time you're going to pour out your whole heart to God. And if his answer is, you've got to go through this no matter what, like Jesus did, you submit anyway because he is your all in all. And I pray for saints who'll take the gospel to the whole world, but that's another lesson. And saints who will love one another as Christ loved us, because that's the way Jesus said they'll know you're my disciples. And I have an idea a lot of that's going on in this church. It seems like you're in a growth mode and bubbling here. feels that way. And God bless you for that. But whatever else... May I ask you to have this mind, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the lesson for today. Thank you for your careful attention. We may have convicted your heart. It would be wonderful if when we stand in a minute and sing a song... If there's somebody here who's a Christian who has not been committed like the Apostle Paul in any stretch, just to say, would you all pray with me?
to help me be more what Jesus wants me to be. And I'll tell you, I'd ask your prayers for me this week to do just that. And if there's someone in the audience who's learned enough about Jesus to know he is worth giving everything for, folks. If you were to come this morning and said, I've come to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, which, by the way, the man in Romania, I never got to see him again after those three days, so I don't know what happened. I hope he had enough seed planted that he once, and once gave his life to Jesus. But if you're ready for that, don't you leave here without saying with your mouth, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we'll stop everything. That's how important this is. And immerse you in water for the remission of your sins. And you can leave a Christian ready to serve him the rest of your days. So we're going to sing a song. Hope you'll come while we stand and as we sing.